my friends, family, and chosen family, welcome. My name is Andrea Davidson, and aside from the fact that I had to take on a few in-between-the-good-times food industry jobs to pay the rent, I have been a professional musician for most of my life. In the hustle of the record, the publishing and production deals, touring and trying to find my place in the industry, I was quietly dealing with a list of perpetual chronic health issues that catalyzed me to question whether or not what I'd been told by doctors my whole life was actually true. Does diet affect the way I feel and look? Could I actually reverse my chronic health issues and improve my mental health through nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle changes? Does the way I'm thinking about myself and the world around me actually affect my reality? And do I have the capacities to positively change that perspective and therefore my reality? Absolutely. All right. So I'm officially the proud owner of Be Well Natural Health Store here in downtown Rogersville, Tennessee. And this podcast is intended to be a resource of empowering information for you. No matter if you live in the area or if you're a part of our online community, whether you're looking to take your first step towards better health or your 10,000th, Be Well welcomes you. Ah, good morning. Listen to those birds singing. I love doing this podcast with the windows open in the morning. So today... We're going to talk about the evolution of our modern diet. Uh, I'm inspired to do this because I've been reading a book for school. And I realize a lot of times in life for me, to really get to where I want to be, sometimes I need to understand how I got to where I am. So in regards to our collective physical health and mental health, I think it's paramount to discuss the history of what has brought us to being perhaps the sickest we've ever been and talk about the things we can do to reverse it because with 100% certainty we can. That is not just me being a cheerleader. So in this book, it identifies six pillars that have led us to being where we're at. The first is the agricultural revolution. Second is the introduction of refined sugar. Third is the industrial revolution. Fourth is the rise of big food corporations. Fifth is the chemical revolution. And sixth is the digital revolution. So let's start with the first, which is the agricultural revolution. Well, it's been about... 10 to 12,000 years ago since this revolution started. And from an evolutionary perspective, that's not really that long ago. People began growing food, right, in one place instead of migrating. And it wasn't an isolated incident. It was something that happened in multiple places around the world. And of course, what we have seen as a result of this change is less diversity in nutrients, um, loss of bone density, habitat loss, soil degradation, the increased spread of diseases, creation of social hierarchies, inequality, slavery, genocide. Um, The intake of carbs have shot up and the intake of proteins has largely shot down. Uh, And 
archaeological records indicate that these chronic diseases we experience are directly correlated with these dietary changes. And again, it's not doom and gloom. There's many ways to, to do farming in a sustainable, regenerative way. So Luke is sitting here enjoying a bone, so you can probably hear him crunching in the background. I'm, I'm not going to edit it out. I want him to be in here with me. I thought about putting him outside, but He's just been super snuggly the last couple days, so hope you don't mind that in the background. <laughs> okay, the second one is the introduction of refined sugar. Refined sugar was first introduced in the 1600s. Of course, at first, it was only for the wealthy. And then as production got cheaper, it became more available. Over the next hundred years, the average sugar consumption per person per year this is crazy. It went from a few pounds to 150 to 200 pounds per year per person. Wrap your face around that. Wow. So of course we know sugar lacks useful nutrients. It hijacks your ability to really even be able to listen to your body. It's like a drug. In its processed form, it has seriously detrimental effects on the uh, physiology of the body. So there's that. Number three, the Industrial Revolution. People began just to flock into the cities for work, didn't they? So what happens as a result of that? We stopped growing food and we began buying food and the foods need to be processed so that they don't spoil via transport and so that their shelf life can increase. Uh, but what happens when the shelf life increases is the nutrient density decreases pretty much every time. So there's a quote by Joel Salatin, if it doesn't rot, it's not real food. Love that. Amen. The other thing that happened with the Industrial Revolution is that it rapidly increased the world population, which kind of gave us more of a motivation to do the agriculture, the, the monoculture cropping. So the first 100 years of the Industrial Revolution, the population went from 700 million to 1.2 billion. It doubled again in the next 100 years and then tripled the following 100 years to today's total of over 7 billion people. The other thing that happened is automation increased. Machines began taking over jobs that humans would do. That's still happening more and more every day. Uh, and all the tech, all the technology has introduced great new products and also uh, chemical byproducts, you know, things that are being released into the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the soil where we grow our food. If you think that isn't affecting your biochemistry, think again. So the fourth one is the rise of big food. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, Big companies like Dr. Pepper, Coca-Cola, and Pepsi all started. Uh, it, it's funny, in the, in the book, they talk about the first formulation that Coca-Cola came out with, and it had cocaine and alcohol in it. It's pretty wild. Of course, that changed as they increased the sugar. Uh, all that stuff kind of got, got deleted from the formulation. Nestle was created in 1866, Kellogg's in the early 1900s. Uh, Kellogg's was created by 
John Harvey. It might have been somebody else too, but they had a philanthropic sort of motivation to nourish patients in sanatoriums, and they figured out a way to turn wheat into these flaky cereals. And, of course, John Harvey was a Seventh-day Adventist who believed that, you know, you shouldn't eat any meat at all. And, look, he had the best of intentions. But what's happened is, well, what's happened is a lot of research that goes against what he thought to be healthy for people, for human consumption. And now, just in regards to these corporations, it's it's very obvious that the profit is being prioritized over the well-being of people. So the other thing that's kind of creepy about these large corporations is the influence they have over public policy and research. A lot of these studies that come out advocating for the products they are putting on the market have been funded by the companies themselves. And it's it's very similar to what the tobacco industry did when they were trying to convince the public that their product was great for them, or at least not harmful, which, as we all know now, jury's pretty much out on that one. So... The next one is the chemical revolution. This one is kind of the one that breaks my heart and blows my mind the most. It all starts around World War II when all the soldiers went off to war and they were creating new products for them that were, you know, as nutrient dense as they could be, but they wanted them to be lighter weight and longer lasting. So as they were being prioritized to get more of the dense nutrition, the public was being encouraged to try out and consume new products like margarines and vegetable oils. And that's kind of where it all got started. In the book, it talks about like goldfish crackers and granola bars and all these things that began being created around this time. The other thing that's interesting about the chemical revolution I say interesting, but it's actually just really sad and messed up, is this is when chemicals that used to be used to produce bombs and nerve gas were eventually switched over to being used for fertilizers, for our crops and herbicides and pesticides. The result of this movement here is, you know, cheap food, abundant food, highly processed food, non-perishable food, just covered up in chemicals that will satisfy the taste buds in the moment and actually just leave our bodies completely starved for nutrients and chronically diseased. So there's that. The uh, last one is the digital revolution. And we're kind of just in the infancy stages of this, so it's hard to speak about it because we're still kind of watching it unfold. But you know, it's sitting in front of screens. It's it's the decrease of outdoor leisure, physical activity. Our bodies need to move for our mitochondrial health, for our lymphatic drainage and our immune system, for balanced gut flora, which is like the foundation of all of our health is is in our microbiome and gut flora for our detoxification pathways. I mean, literally, you all, moving is such a powerful way to get your health back. So 
The other thing about sitting in front of the screens is posture. This is something I hadn't thought about till I was reading the book. It actually does directly affect your digestive health if you're slumped over all the time and not sitting up straight, giving your organs the room and space they need to do what they're meant to do. The other thing is the blue lights from the screens. Jury's out on that too. The blue lights do affect our sleep and the electromagnetic frequencies do increase intestinal permeability, which is no bueno, and all kinds of other negative health effects for us. So maybe it seems overwhelming to you, but the more I'm learning, the more I'm realizing it's actually quite simple. Eat real food, vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, beans, properly soaked, preferably regenerative meat, go local as much as possible. If you really want to get educated on traditional diets, ancestral wisdom, and what nutrient-dense food really means, I love Weston Price's work. He was a dentist that traveled the world studying all these different cultures and made the observation of a rapid decline in health when people gave up their traditional ancestral diets and went with this modernized Western diet. Tooth decay, poor bone development, chronic diseases, the increased intake of refined flour, sugars, processed foods, and vegetable oils directly correlated with just physical degeneration. So what he observed was there really is no one-size-fits-all diet the ratios of macronutrients very much are not the same in many of these cultures, but the universal truths that he found from his research are as follows. Fat-soluble vitamins from animal sources are important. Properly prepared foods in their whole form, that means soaked, sprouted, fermented, or naturally leavened for the seeds, grains, legumes, and nuts, no refined or denatured foods. And it sounds like he could not find a vegan culture anywhere that was healthy. So, and I think he was hoping to, actually. So it's interesting that he didn't. In closing, bottom line, there are a lot of ways we can do it. They are not all supposed to look the same. And we can start with baby steps Maybe you don't have time to grow your own food, so you know somebody else who's growing food and you could buy it from them. I'm really excited because I have always wanted to grow my own food and have never really had the bandwidth or the knowledge or experience to feel confident doing it on my own. FYI, I have been seeing the most wonderful guy. And for my birthday... I turned 37 on the 15th of September, and it was kind of like a birthday week celebration, and he made me feel so special. One of the things he did was he built me two raised beds, and we are growing greens together. Isn't that cool? Guess what? They're already sprouting up, too. I gotta tell you, I was a little bit scared I was gonna kill them, you know, like just lack of confidence and stuff, but either kill them or just give them too much water or whatever. It's like the don't squeeze the puppy syndrome, you know, you squeeze the puppy too hard, you'll kill the puppy. <laughs> and sometimes I squeeze too hard. So anyway, um, so far so good. And 
Yeah. So it can be little things and, and we don't have to overwhelm ourselves. We can just take it one step at a time and surround ourselves with people who are already doing cool stuff and supporting what they're doing. So lots we can do, guys. Lots we can do. I am going to close it out with a song that was on my Quarantina Bago EP I did a while ago. It just popped in my head. So this is the one that I will play. It is called Multiply. And the word multiply only happens to come up once in the song, in the bridge, where it says, everything I do and say and think comes back in many ways. It multiplies, 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 multiplies. All right, so let's be intentional with what we do, what we think, and what we say. Okay, be well. Bye for now. Come to the finish line and I am just in time to see the go-go.